Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Good morning, everyone. Um, Before we get started, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the kiddos. Um, And we've got both classes today, so nope, just one class today. Okay. One or or two? Two. Two. We got both. Okay. So... Up to seven-year-olds, there's a class for you if you want to follow all of those people back there. Um, So, um, good morning. Uh, My name is Ransford. I'm one of the elders here, in case you don't know that about me. Um, And I, my chief role is overseeing community groups, and so I don't get to preach very often, um, which is probably a good thing. But (laughs) um, I've, I've been told I'm some people's favorite because I'm really quick. So... There's that, um, but I am excited about the text we're preaching today. Um, it's, it's James 4, 13 through 17. Um, it's a passage that um, has had some, some pretty heavy significance for me personally, um, and I'm excited to get to talk about that with you guys today. Um, but James is uh, a uniquely application-focused book of the Bible, um, as we've seen over the past couple weeks going through James. Um, there's a lot of nuggets of just really practical wisdom that we can pull out of there. Um, and I think one of the main themes of James is biblical wisdom. Um, and so what is biblical wisdom? How should biblical wisdom affect my life? How do I get biblical wisdom? Um, these are all things that we, we're seeking to understand as we go through James. Um, but today I'm hoping to emphasize the importance of that wisdom, its role in our lives, and how both the Holy Spirit and biblical wisdom help us to rebuke our own sin. Um, To do this, we have to understand what sin is and what makes wisdom biblical. And to answer both of these questions, we have to look at Scripture. Um, So when we were going through the elder candidacy process, which is about a year-long process with Dwayne, myself, Josh, and a few others, um, we had to read a lot of books. They had us reading two books a month, Um, And they weren't like short little chapter books. They were exhausting. (laughs) Um, But they were really good. Um, And to their credit, some of them were were particularly excellent. Um, The one in particular today was Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Um, We didn't read the whole thing. It's like this big. But we read the section on um, the doctrine of the Word of God. What makes up Scripture? How do we know Scripture is is true? Um, And in that, he talks about... um, when you're trying to make an argument for the validity of something, you have to compare it to a higher authority. And so as Christians, we believe that Scripture is the highest authority, and so we are comparing everything to that higher authority. Um, For those of you that don't know me, um, I have a degree in biology, um, which with science there comes a lot of that comparing against other research people have done and checking against higher authorities than what you're currently studying. Um, and I really care about accuracy, which um, my wife can attest to, to a fault, um, comes up often at home. Um, but I also love birds and bird watching. Um, and so if I'm out at Eagle Creek and I'm looking around and I think I see a golden eagle, how can I point out, how can I prove that it's a golden eagle, especially to someone who's never seen a golden eagle or any other type of eagle? Um, 
and I mean specifically golden eagle, not bald eagle, because everyone knows those. But we also get golden eagles here in the wintertime. Um, so how would I do that? I would point out its features, its hooked bill, its soaring wings, dark feathers. Um, but those are also features of turkey vultures and other birds. Um, so I would compare that to my field guide. I'd pull it out and I'd say, oh, look, here's what it says a golden eagle is. That's what we see in the bird. I'm comparing to that higher authority to assert that that is what we're actually seeing. Um, and that's the same um, for us with scriptures. Um, with the Bible, as Christians, we believe that the scriptures are the ultimate authority. They're God's inspired word given to us so that we can learn about him, how he desires us to behave, his plan for redemption, our need for that redemption, and ultimately for us to know, love, and worship him fully. So when we see something in scripture and we want to test and prove that, we have to test it against other scriptures because that is our ultimate authority. Um, and so what does all this have to do with James in our text today? Um, I felt that in order for me to adequately explain what James is saying here in chapter 4, that I, I need to draw from various other parts of Scripture um, to fully explain that. And additionally, as we get to talking about wisdom in a minute, we need to test our wisdom or what we perceive as wisdom against what we see in Scripture to discern if it is truly biblical. So we need to establish that process. Um, so, as I said, we are in James 4... 13, 17. Uh, if you want to turn there, if you're not there already, I think it'll be up on the screen. Um, it says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Um, let's pray real quick here. Um, Father God, I just want to thank you for um, just this passage um, and just your word in general, just the, the gift that that is to show us your mercy um, and your goodness and your greatness. Um, just pray that this morning... Um, that you would speak through me, and that you would soften our hearts to hear what you have to say. Um, we love you, and thank you for your sacrifice. Amen. Um, so, the first chunk of that passage um, says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Um, so first thing, uh, who or what is James calling out here? Um, specifically, he's calling out people who brazenly make plans on their own. They, without concern for what God has in store, they don't go to him in prayer. They just say, I'm going to go do this. This makes sense to me. That's going to be the way it is. Um, they're talking as though they know what the future holds, but who really knows what tomorrow holds? Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what, the, what a day may bring. Um, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, or even our very next breath. Um, and James is chastising those who are proud of their plans. Um, so, is it bad for us to make plans? Is it sinful to have goals? 
to set up steps to achieve those goals and then to take action to realize them. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> um, but making plans and setting goals itself is not sinful, but James is addressing the posture of our hearts when we're doing that. Um, in verse 15, it says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So it isn't a sin necessarily to make plans. Um, in fact, I would argue that it's wise to make plans and to be prudent in what you're doing. Um, but if we do that without acknowledging the Lord and his sovereignty and without seeking his wisdom, James is calling that a sin here and saying, if you're planning and going about your life without any thought or care for the Lord, that is sin. Um, there's an excellent example of this in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verses 12 and 22, which is kind of a long chunk, but I think it's good to read the whole of it. Um, this is Paul talking here. It says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first. So here he's talking about his plans to visit them on his missionary journeys. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not, has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, uh, was not yes and no, but in him is always yes. Um, I realize I had a different version on the screen than I had in my Bible, so apologies. Um, but throughout Paul's account here, um, we see him relying on the faithfulness and the promises of God, both his decisions about where and when he should go, who he's going to go see, and also what he's going to say to them. Um, and we can even pull James, what we talked about in one of the first sermons of this series, pull James back in further. Paul has such confidence in the Lord's precision that he is not blown about like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, and he is not a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He has confidence in the Lord, and he's relying on his wisdom to guide his missionary journeys. Um, Paul's an excellent example of this wisdom that we see in James. Um, so then, how do we gain this wisdom? Um, wisdom to inform our lives and our plans and help guide our decisions. If we look back at James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So we ask that God faithfully in prayer, um, and then we appeal what he thinks is wisdom from the Lord. So whatever we think he's telling us, because we could be just getting our own ideas mixed up in things, whatever we think is wisdom, we appeal that to scripture in prayer um, to discern whether or not that's wisdom from the Lord or whether it's wisdom that we think is from the Lord and we want it to be from the Lord, but it actually just feels good. Um, and so and this is, some, again, some of the practicality of James. He's outlining steps to gain wisdom. First, we recognize that we lack wisdom. Second, we ask for wisdom. 
third, God gives wisdom generously. Um, the only caveat to that is that we have to ask in faith. Um, so then how do we know the wisdom we believe is from God is actually from him? And we want to test the validity of that. Um, and that, in, that wisdom, in this case, we test against Scripture. Um, if the wisdom we receive is supported by what we can see in Scripture, then we rejoice because we have found biblical wisdom. Um, and this feels like a natural time to bring up community groups with that because God does not intend for us to seek wisdom on our own. Um, definitely not to do it in, in silos, but rather to do it in community. Um, and so he sent the Spirit to encourage us and to strengthen us, but he has also established his churches to support us in gospel-centered community. And as we do life together, we get to know each other on a personal level, and then we do that with the gospel in mind, we have the joy of growing together and speaking wisdom into one another. Um, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He doesn't tell us to only deal with our own sin here. He says, yeah, you need to take the log out of your own eye, but so you can see clearly to help your brother. And so, so you can see clearly to call out their sin, to speak wisdom into their lives as well. Um, and that's done in community. You can't do that if you're living apart from community. And so that wisdom to see sin, we have to know what sin is. And this is church. Everyone has an idea of what sin is, so it might be redundant here, but I think it's necessary. Um, the, the definition for the Greek word for sin um, that's used in the New Testament simply means to miss the mark. Um, I was digging in to make sure, back to the accuracy thing, fact-checking myself, because I've always thought that's an archery term for when, you know, if you're shooting a bow, trying to hit the target, to miss the target is to sin. Um, I think that's still correct, but the, every example I found said it was more with spear-throwing contests, so the idea is the same. When you're throwing something, you're trying to hit that target, and anything besides hitting that target is sin. It's not necessarily hitting the wrong mark, but to miss the correct one. Um, and there's a distinction there that I'm hopefully going to clear up in a second. Um, so with the last verse of James, um, James er, for our, our section today, 417, says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Um, in my opinion, this is arguably the most difficult verse to talk about um, because there's some subjectivity with this, um, but I think it's important to, to clarify that. Um, two things to talk about, though, is first the knowledge of what is the right thing to do. Um, and at the risk of sounding like a broken record, we know the right thing to do by the study of Scripture and wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Just keep cycling through that. There's, there's a, a definite theme there. Um, but that's, that's it, plain and simple. Um, and then how do we grow in our understanding of what is right? Um, we, we don't all fall in the same place in our journey and our knowledge of this, right? I mean, today we are celebrating three baptisms, which is a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing to get to experience that. But these three people are starting their spiritual journey. There's a different level of knowledge that comes with that spiritual maturity. Um, and so um, <clears throat> the Bible refers to believers that are new in their faith as being fed with spiritual milk. And as you mature, you're fed with spiritual meat. Um, and as we grow in this, we get more and more ready for the meat, uh, which hits particularly 
home for me, uh, having a newborn, newborn, Ruben's not a newborn, he's almost 11 months. Um, but the point is, he's just now starting to eat meat, and really he's just playing with meat. He's, he's like, it's like a toy, he'll put it in his mouth, he'll chew on it, sometimes eats it, sometimes doesn't. Um, but he, he still gets most of his nourishment from milk. Um, and for us, it's the same. Um, our spiritual journey before Christ, it is as though we are dead, but then we are born again as an infant needing that spiritual milk, that the very basics of what our faith is. And then as we grow in our faith, we'll start ready for more mature foods. And with that growth comes more knowledge of what is right and good to do. Um, in Romans 14, Paul outlines a, a delicate balance related to this. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, he's talking about a specific issue, whether it's right to eat meat or not, um, or even specific, more specifically, whether it's right to eat unclean meat, such as the stuff that's offered to idols. Um, the verse I want to focus on from the whole chapter is uh, verses 13 and 14 uh, of, of Romans 14. It says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Um, and then specifically, verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Um, so here, Paul, in his knowledge of Scripture, he knows he can eat whatever he likes, and there's no issue with that. In the New Covenant, we don't have to follow the Old Testament rules. We, don't, we can eat bacon. We can eat oysters. We can wear purple. All of these things that previously to the Jews, those were sin. Um, but for some new Jewish Christians, there was still a holdover from that Old Testament law where they still felt they, they needed to follow that, and their conscience convicted them of that. And so in that case, for them, it was sinful to partake of those things because their conscience was convicting them of that. Even though Paul knew in his, in his spiritual maturity that those things were no longer considered sin. Um, and so for us, as we grow in our understanding of Scripture, there are some things that we once thought were right turn out to be wrong and vice versa. Um, and this is an area that, um, as a church, we need to show grace with each other. When someone else has a different conviction, a different experience, that they feel convicted to do something and it is not, and that it's sinful for them to not do that, whereas you, in your maturity, may know, oh, I have the freedom to do how I please here because I have that freedom in Christ. This is not a sin anymore. Um, but there's always that grace balance where you defer to, to the, uh, the newer believer in that. Um, so um, so for, as we grow in our understanding of Scripture, things turn right and wrong and vice versa. Um, and then getting back to the text, is whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Um, the second part of this deals with sins of omission versus sins of commission. Um, in the middle of that verse, it says, and fails to do it, is what we're focusing on. Um, earlier, when I gave the definition of sin, we pointed out that it's missing the correct mark, not just hitting the wrong one. And as Christians, we tend to think about sin as a list of don'ts. Um, and often that is the case. There are, there are sins of commission that we should not do, um, like lying, stealing, murdering, abusing people, committing adultery. There are a whole list of things that we should not do as a Christian. Those are sins of commission, um, which are, to put it simply, their sins of commission are overt acts that go against what God has commanded. So something that you knowingly do that is sinful. You take action to do that. Um, but how often do we think about sins of omission? 
What does that even mean? Um, as we look through Scripture, we see Jesus and the apostles outline good things we must do, and yet we often ignore them because it's inconvenient or awkward. And in many cases, we don't see it as a sin, or at least we don't view it on the same level. Um, but all sin is sin, even the stuff we should do but don't. So if sins of commission are overt acts uh, against what God has commanded, then sins of omission are failures to do the good that God has commanded us to do. Um, for example, if you see your spouse in sin and choose to not call it out, you yourself are in sin. There's the awkward scenario. This happens to us almost every day, I feel like, one way or the other. Um, but if I see Julia in sin and I don't call her out, I am sinning. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, of gentleness. So there's the, the command there to call out your brothers to hold them in righteousness. And this would go for other believers as well in your community groups or other, other contexts. Um, another example is feeding the homeless. Isaiah 58, 6 and 7 says, it is, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. According to this passage, we are called not only to feed the homeless, but to clothe them and provide them with shelter as well. And it's not even specific to the homeless. It says those who are hungry. So there could be a wide variety of how you personally feel convicted with that. But the point is, we are to care for those who are needy. Um, there's that command that is a good thing that we are supposed to do. And I feel convicted of this often. I don't know if any of you guys go to the 86th Street Chick-fil-A um, ever, but there's always two homeless guys sitting there, one at the side street that goes to the Chick-fil-A and one at the light. Um, and I wrestle every time. It's like, do I do something for them in this moment? Can I do something for them in this moment? And we are called to provide what we can. So if I, usually if I have a couple bucks, I'll throw a couple bucks. But there's a whole internal struggle that goes on there because I know that that is something that I need to do. And often I, I ignore it, and that's a sin of omission on my part. Um, but those little moments throughout your day, throughout your week, those are when the Spirit is guiding you towards something good that you are to do. Um, so back to what James was pointing out earlier, the specific example... And this text is that if we live and make plans without acknowledging the Lord's sovereignty or seeking his will, then we are arrogant and prideful and thus sinful. So the good we are to do in this case is make our plans with wisdom from the Lord to not do so is sin. Um, so what is it like to do the right thing and how do we do this? Um, as a church, this is an area that we have struggled with in the past. Um, it would be easy for us to write off Mercy Ministries because we're a small church. We don't have a lot of resources. Um, it's hard to physically reach out to our community. Um, but regardless of your standing, financially, you are still called to do what you can. Um, and as a church, we are still called to love our neighbors. Um, and I'm excited about this, but we, I know we've talked about this, but we as a church um, have a relatively new city renewal team. Um, and Part of, part of our serving our community is knowing what the community needs. And if you're unaware, that city renewal team has been doing door-to-door -door surveys and finding out about specifically the Fountain Square downtown area, um, finding out what their needs are, how they can serve. Um, and this is something we're wanting to 
expand to other parts, other communities, and specifically around our physical church location as well. Um, but it's a great opportunity to get involved with, with doing good in our communities. Um, and if you have any questions specifically about that, you can uh, find Jordan Sherman, who's not here today, or Dwayne, who's back in the booth, um, to find out more if you want to get involved. But the point I'm trying to make is that as Christians, we are called to do the right thing. Um, I also, uh, Josh pointed out, I need to make this distinction when I sent him my sermon. Um, there is a, a definite difference between call and conviction um, that I need to point out. Um, there are some black and white things that all believers are called to do. Um, for example, making disciples, rebuking brothers and sisters in Christ, feeding the hungry, like we mentioned earlier. But then there are other areas that are not so clear-cut. Um, like Paul points out about whether or not to eat meat sacrificed to idols, or in my own personal case, recycling. Um, I feel a personal conviction about recycling. Um, it might sound ridiculous, but there's a point in time in college when I used to be that guy that I would intentionally toss my stuff into the trash can labeled landfill because I'm like, Haha, suck it. Because <laughs> that was my attitude about things. But then um, someone called me out on that with... Uh, I can't even remember what the blog was, but an article, but it was also dealing with this scripture um, that I feel that personal conviction to recycle um, because in Genesis, God sets us up as stewards of the earth and all that is in it. And as such, as a steward, I feel that part of my God-given role in that includes recycling among a multitude of other things. Um, and when Julie and I were first married, she did not share this conviction at all and was quite frustrated with me when I would pull things out of the trash and wash them off, put them in the recycling. Um, and then we had a whole separate bin for recycling and recycling didn't come to our apartment complex so I'd have to drive it to a place and it was a point of conflict in our marriage for a bit. Um, but um, she complied out of love for me and also to not be a stumbling block for me because she knew that I felt convicted to do that as something that I should do as a Christian and that for me, it was sin to not recycle um, because of my own conviction in that. So in this case, as James puts it, puts it in, in the verse, recycling is the good that I should do, and for me to fail to do it is the sin. I'm not saying all of you have to go and recycle. That's not what the sermon's about. But there are areas on that spectrum of like, this is, I see this in Scripture. I take this to also extend into this area of life. And so if the Spirit is leading me in that way, and there's nothing in Scripture that says I shouldn't do that, then that is a conviction that you need to follow. Um, so failure to do what we know is good is a sin, plain and simple, um, and sin separates us from God. And what James has done in verse 17 is to point out that the bar is set much higher than just not doing bad stuff, but we also have to do good stuff. Um, it's more than avoiding the bad um, and I don't know about you guys, but I know that I fail to do that regularly. I am a pretty selfish person, um, as Julia can point out. She probably has loads of examples. Um, but God in his mercy has provided me and you with his son. Um, the bar is set so impossibly high for us, but thanks be to God for he gives us victory in Christ. He came and lived perfectly, doing all the good he ought to do and not doing what he shouldn't perfectly so that he could be the perfect substitute for us. He imputes his righteousness on us at the cross so that we can have eternal life with him. Um, and we get to celebrate that today with communion, which is a reminder for any of us who are believers in this body, 
um, of reminders of his body and blood being broken for us as that perfect substitute. And we also get the reminder today in baptism, which is our public symbol of us dying to our sins and raising again in life with Christ um, and our rebirth as righteous sons and daughters of God. Um, if that is something you guys are curious about um, or would like to know more about, please come and find my, myself, Dwayne, or Josh. We would be thrilled to talk with you. Um, otherwise, if you guys are believers, there are um, communion cups back there with the styrofoam and the juice in them for you to eat. Um, and then just take a minute and just to um, take a minute to rejoice in what communion means and what, what that secures for us. Not the act of communion, but what it symbolizes in Christ's sacrifice on the cross. What that secures for us as believers, um, that we get to be with God in heaven eternally, despite our failures, despite our sins, um, which, is just, which is the ultimate good news. Um, I'll pray real quick, and then we'll move on to the next thing. Um, Father God, uh, we just want to thank you for today. Um, just thank you for your word and how it is living and active um, and useful rebuking and teaching us. Uh, we just thank you for that gift. Um, and we just pray that as we go out into our weeks, uh, that we would seek you, we would seek your wisdom, that we would um, seek to act in a way that is pleasing to you, uh, both with the good that we do and the bad that we don't do. Um, we thank you for your son and his perfect example of that um, to us, but also that perfection that he so willingly laid down his life for us to die on, die on the cross for our sins so that we could be with you forever. Um, we love you and we are so grateful for that sacrifice. And in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at